Hello fellow adventurers and welcome back to the Nerd Lab, where we transform our gaming passion into incredible game designs and learn how to nerd like a boss. My name is Marvin and I am an ambitious game designer on my quest to develop a cooperative fantasy card game. For this podcast, my vision is to take you with me on this exciting journey. Together we will explore the secrets of different game mechanics and reach the next level as a game designer. In episode 23 of the Nerd Lab podcast, we will tackle a challenge many game designers have to face when they create a game. Today I'm going to take a look at resource mechanics. At their heart, resources are a way of restricting a player to do whatever they want. The main challenge for me is to find the right balance between restriction and freedom. I don't want the players to play all their available spells at once. On the other hand, I don't want to restrict them too much and still give them the opportunity to play a variety of possible combinations. Today's episode is dedicated to find that sweet spot in the middle. Therefore, I will talk a little bit about different resources in games and why we need them at all. And as usual, I will also analyze some games and um, discuss how they implemented their resource mechanics. Let's start by defining what a resource actually is. For me, a resource is the foundation of managing player actions by giving them interesting choices and limiting their possibilities at the same time. This definition has two main parts for me, interesting choices and limiting possibilities. Interesting choices for me means that players have uh, X possibilities of which they have to choose Y actions. Of course, there will be times in which players only have one option or so, but in general there should be um, an interesting decision to be made. Typically, these decisions are created by different ways of generating a resource and different ways or possibilities of spending that resource. With uh, the other part of the definition, limiting possibilities, I mean that the number of possible actions players choose from need to be limited. They need to be limited in order to make the game interesting. Otherwise, everyone would always play their best card or use their best unit, or even use all of their cards and all of their units in one turn. Limitation is also important to reduce the amount of information a player has to process. If it is easy to rule out two-thirds of possible plays in the first few seconds during a turn, that reduces um, decision paralysis and allows the player to focus on the important decision um, in the current situation. Think about Magic the Gathering, for example. When you have three mana available on turn three, um, you typically only need to focus on spells in your hand that also cost three or less mana. Sure, the other cards are also important for your long-term strategy, but your focus typically is clearly on the card that you are able to play at that situation. It is also important to note that I'm not only talking about resource management games today. A resource management game is one in which the players obtain resources, often some kind of raw materials such as wood, sheep, crane or metal, and try to turn these into higher level products such as buildings or machines, um, in the most efficient manner. This is often used in Euro games. Settlers of Catan is probably the most important or prominent example here. But even the simplest games typically involve some sort of resource management, being adjusted by having a limited amount of units, limited amount of cards or a limited amount of time. 
Today I will cover some of the many ways resources can be used in games in order to enhance the gameplay. But before we start with some examples, I would like to talk a bit about the challenge um, when designing a resource system. When you start working on the resource system for a new game, you need to ask yourself some basic questions. What role should this resource system have in the game? How prominent should this mechanic be? Is it the main source of fun or just a supportive tool for the other aspects of my game? You have to ask these questions because resource mechanics can be used for so many different purposes in a game. And if your resource mechanic is too prominent, although it was actually supposed to play a supportive role, um, it can easily distract your players from the real fun parts of your game. For me, um, the resource mechanic was only a supportive tool to manage the overall pacing of the game and balance the alternatives players can choose from. In my game it is used to control the different actions a player character can perform. It determines which cards can be played from the hand of a player and which onboard actions can be performed. That means it is an important mechanic, but it's not the main source of fun I would say. And this brings us to the main challenge with resource mechanics. Where exactly is the sweet spot between fun and frustration for a resource mechanic? You probably don't want your players to feel frustrated because they never have enough resources. But on the other hand, you need to make the resources actually matter by sometimes making them constrain player options. I don't have the universal answer for this question. It probably takes a lot of playtesting to find the sweet spot. But during my playtest, for example, I realized very fast that I had way too many constraints. And these constraints were actually um, interfering with the fun part of the game. Players came up with interesting tactics and combinations of spells, but they never had the resources available to actually play it in a way they wanted. As a short-term solution, I reduced the cost of all spells immediately by one and allowed the players to combine different spells more easily. Since then I tried to reduce the constraints produced by my resource system. But I'm not sure yet if the changes that I made uh, were enough. So I think I have to find out in the next playtest sessions. Um, and if I still have the feeling the resource system is too much of a constraint, I will probably have to rework it completely and start over again. Finding that sweet spot is one of my key challenges at the moment and um, maybe one reason for me to choose this topic for today's podcast episode. Uh, for the further analysis, I will now um, describe some different characteristics of resource mechanics before we start with the examples. When I started my research for this topic, I actually asked myself, what are resource systems used for? And which tasks do they typically fulfill in a game? Um, and then later I asked myself, what are the differences between the various resource systems and um, what design choices do we as a game designer actually have? The first reason why we need the resource system is an obvious one and one I already talked about. We need the resource system to um, implement some sort of restrictions in our game. Resources are always used to restrict some aspects. But let's go a bit deeper here. Why do we actually need to use a resource for that instead of simply um, using a rule that says you can only play one card per turn or you can only use um, one of your units per turn? 
I personally see two main reasons. Balancing and pacing. To make a game exciting and diverse, we often need different power levels of game effects. And these game effects usually also have a varying impact on the current game state and the further course of the game. A resource system helps immensely to balance these different levels of impact in player actions. An action with a minor impact will not always but typically cost significantly less of a resource than a spell with a huge impact on the board state. Let's compare Magic the Gathering and Keyforge, the both card games, for a second here. In Magic the Gathering we have a typical resource system where you have to spend mana to cast your spells from your hand. Um, in Keyforge, on the other side, you only have to choose the correct house and then you can play all the cards from your hand um, with the respective house without paying any resource for that card. That means in Magic the Gathering we have um, cards that have a huge impact on the board um, and they are very costly to play. So some cards cost 10 or more mana to play but they actually win you the game on the spot. But when you were able to live uh, for that uh, long of a period until you uh, are able to spend that much mana for one card you probably deserve to win anyway. In Keyforge on the other side you do not have that cards or cannot print that card that have that huge impact on the board that win you the game on the spot um, because you could easily play them on turn one and that is not possible in magic that means on the other side you can use the resource mechanic to balance the power level of the cards but you also get new design space from that resource because you are um, able to design a wide variety of card effects by making them more expensive. In the same way a resource can be an incredible method to pace a game. Players start with a few resources and can do very little at the beginning. But over time they collect more and more, which empowers them to use more powerful actions. This will give players a sense of progression and will help you as a designer to build up towards a peak in your game. This is especially true for resources that are not gone when you use them, but are refreshed and reusable each turn. That means every new instance of a resource you accumulate grows your overall pool of the resource and allows you to cast more powerful spells um, or use more powerful actions. Resources that can only be used once are typically not used for the pacing of the game. They're typically more likely a cycle in which players accumulate a resource and then spend it and then start the cycle again. Money is a good example. You earn money during the scenario, then you buy some kind of item and lose your money again. Then you accumulate new money and buy new items. Um, so these um, non-refreshable or reusable resources are not that good to pace a game. For the purpose of pacing a game, it is typically better to use a reusable resource such as mana, for example. In many games, resource systems also play a secondary role of separating cards and components into categories based on what kinds of resources are required to play or use them. Of course, the game has to support different resources in order to use them as a separation mechanic. Um, then you can use the resource to define something like belonging to a certain guild or faction. 
As a result, the players need to choose one or more resources to focus on in order to get access to a certain guild. This can be a source for very interesting choices. In many games, especially the resource management games, you are also allowed to use raw materials to build something new or get access to something new. For example, by building a village in Settlers of Catan. Um, often these new shiny things are second-order resources. That means they help you to generate even more resources or get you closer to the winning condition. Or they could enhance some kind of unit. Typically there are more enhancement options than players have resources, what creates interesting choices again. Second-order resources are sometimes required to build something that you cannot build using your first-order resource. This is also a good example of how resources can be used to make progress in a game um, and to uh, uh, give players the option to decide between different tactics. When a game features multiple resources, it's not uncommon for those resources to be layered in some way. For example, a player might gather raw materials, then convert them into more specialized goods, uh, which ultimately are spent on um, special abilities or acquiring victory points. When working on a game with multiple resources, it is important to differentiate between how they are acquired or spent to make them feel unique and interesting. The next characteristic um, which can be used to distinguish resource mechanics um, is a huge one in the card game industry and collectible card game industry in particular. Um, it is linear versus non-linear resource grows. And it is best explained with the comparison between Magic the Gathering and Hearthstone. In Magic the resource... Um, We already talked about it, it's called mana and it is represented by its own card type in form of lands which you play as part of your deck. Each turn you're allowed to play um, um, one land from your hand which um, you then can use to increase your mana for that turn. Um, at the beginning of the next turn it is refreshed and you can use it again. That means in the best case scenario um, you always have a land available on your hand and you have linear growth. Um, in reality, it is a bit different because you have to draw the correct amount of lands at the correct time um, and you often end up with too much or too less of that required resource. Um, this is also called mana flood or mana screw in magic. That means the resource system in magic is not linear. It has been discussed a lot that this non-linear resource system is maybe the biggest design flaw in Magic the Gathering because the games in which you are screwed or flooded um, are often not fun at all. That's why a lot of card games that came after Magic implemented a linear resource system instead. Examples are Hearthstone or Artifact in which you automatically get an additional resource per turn. Guaranteed, without the need to draw a specific card from your deck. But having a non-linear system like Magic is not inferior in all areas. In Magic, the land system doesn't just add variance. It also creates a nice curve of how much mana you have available each turn. It's very likely to have 3 mana on turn 3, um, but fairly unlikely to have 6 mana on turn 6. And it's very, very unlikely to have 10 mana on turn 10. This is a nice way of controlling the pace of the game. Keeping lower cost cards relevant 
um, and allowing high-cost cards to be very exciting and powerful. Having this non-linear uh, growth and this variance in the growth um, also has a huge impact on the deck-building aspect of Magic um, because the players are um, free in their choice how many lands they want to include in their deck. That gives you a lot of different strategies um, when you build your deck. Some players may choose to play a very aggressive deck by playing um, fewer lands and only cards uh, with low mana costs, while other players may uh, want to play a more controlling deck, a more late game deck with um, higher cost cards and ways of uh, ramping their mana. So playing more lands um, and other effects that allow them to grow their mana base. When you have a linear resource system like Hearthstone, the game trends towards curving out even more. If you're not using all your mana to add new cards um, to the board every turn, you are probably losing. Now that we have uh, already talked about um, Magic and Hearthstone, um, let's look at some more examples. The focus will be more on card-based games today. Resource systems are a vital component of most card games, um, but there is no single best way of implementing a resource. Um, it needs to fit into the overall game and over the years different games have tried many different ways of uh, resource systems. In this section of the podcast I'm analyzing different resource systems from different card games and talk about some of the positive and negative aspects of these systems. In most card games, resources are mainly used as a cost to play cards. In general, more powerful cards tend to require more resources in order to play them. These resources can be acquired in a linear or non-linear way, as we have just learned. Sometimes there's only a single resource and sometimes there are multiple resources, often one perfection. In addition, often less obvious resources are used as secondary resources, such as cards in your hand or cards in your deck or cards um, in your used pile. In order to play some of your cards, it may be required not only to spend X amount of mana, but also discard a card from your hand and or discard a card from your graveyard or used pile. We already talked about Magic the Gathering, but let me mention it again here. I really like the resource system of Magic because it helps the game to ramp up over time by allowing bigger and bigger plays um, and it separates cards into categories based on the color and it also helps to balance the game by uh, attaching relative costs to cards based on power level. The main issue with the system is um, definitely the fact that there is a dedicated card type associated with the mana itself, the lands. Um, and this can lead to uh, uh, the flooding or screw situation, which I already discussed in this podcast. However, I think the resource system of magic was revolutionary in the 90s and it still plays very smoothly today. And um, over time, the designers have come up with a lot of different uh, mechanics to counterfeit the um, mana flood or mana screw problematic. One of the more prominent ones is cycling. So, for example, that allows you to um, discard a card from your hand in order to draw another card. And they even tried basic land cycling in, in which you are allowed to discard a card from your hand um, to uh, search your library for a specific basic land that can produce the mana you need. 
but they have never been able to solve the, the problem um, completely. But with these mechanics, they reduced the variance of the game. And I personally think it's not as bad as um, some people say it is. Another very successful trading card game is Pokemon. Um, and in Pokemon you can play your Pokemons for free, but you require a certain type and amount of energy in order to attack. And you usually get more powerful attacks with more energy you spend. The problem with this system is, however, that the resource is attached to the Pokemon card itself. This means that the resources provided by energy are not permanent and disappear if the Pokemon is destroyed. This can become a real issue because you can fall so far behind when you lose your Pokemon. And it can be very difficult for a player to catch up um, if you are that far behind. In general, it can be said that it is very dangerous to allow the opponent to attack the resource um, of a player directly. In Magic, for example, that would mean that the opponent can destroy your lands which is part of the game. But it is very expensive to destroy land and it is um, not used that much in newer expansions of the game. The main reason is um, it just feels terrible to be denied from your resource, um, that you need to play your cards. If the opponent uh, managed to destroy enough of your resource, you just sit there and cannot participate in the game at all. This is not fun for... Um, for the losing player and not even that much fun for the winning player. The next game I wanted to talk about is Aventuria. Um, and I think it, the same mechanic has also used in Duel Master. And it is a mechanic, a resource mechanic, that is a linear mechanic. That means um, it is a system that does not have the problem of uh, flooding or screwing. But uh, it is a little bit differently implemented than it is in Hearthstone, for example, where you get a free mana every turn. In Aventuria, every turn a player can choose to play one card from their hand upside down in order to have it treated as a resource card. Um, this means the card that you chose is lost um, for the ability that is written on it, um, but you can use it as a, as a mana from there on. When I first heard about that mechanic, I was thrilled because I thought it would solve all of Magic's problems without having to give up its advantages. But when I played it, I noticed that the mechanic has its own problems. The first problem I have with it is actually the smallest one. It's a purely aesthetic problem. I find it a bit strange to put cards uh, upside down on the table. So as the game progresses, there were a lot of cards uh, with the back of the card pointing upwards. Um, this seems a bit unprofessional and unfinished for me, especially when compared to the beautiful artwork of the Magic Lands. The other two problems are more serious. So analysis paralysis and option loss aversion. In Aventuria you have several cards you might want to play later and you have to choose which one to give up forever, right now. This is what analysis paralysis means. Thinking about this option takes a lot of time that isn't actually spent playing the real game. This also feeds directly into the problem of option loss aversion. People really hate the feeling of losing an option. If you have a situational answer card in your hand and choose to use it as a resource and then they play the thing it would have answered, 
you feel awful. Much worse than if you just draw on a land instead. As I have mentioned before, one task of the resource system is to reduce the possibilities, create some restrictions. And the resource system of Aventuria for me is the opposite. It gives the players way too many choices um, and options, ending in analysis paralysis and option loss aversion. Many of the digital descendants of magic like Hearthstone and Artifact also tried to reduce the complexity of magic's original resource system. They did it by reducing it to a single resource and giving the player one additional resource every turn. Mana crystals or mana are all the same and are gained automatically without any kind of player intervention. Um, as these games are digital representations of trading card games, they also support the player in keeping track of the amount of resources um, already spent. This is a huge simplification of the process. But a disadvantage also is that the resource system does absolutely nothing to separate cards into categories or factions. That means uh, deck building restrictions have to be implemented in a different way. I would say this have been the most prominent uh, resource mechanics in, at least in trading card games. But there are also some other, maybe more innovative uh, resource mechanics or niche resource mechanics um, that are used in card games. For example, in Vampire the Eternal Struggle, players use their life points to play cards. They start with a large pool um, and have to decide how to spend them. That is very thematical and um, also shows how um, a resource mechanic can be combined with uh, other elements of the game. In that case, the health system. Another game that I have not played but only read about is the Battletech um, CCG. And in that game, you are able to play a mech face down um, for free. And then you can use your resource to add construction points to it. And once you have enough construction points, you could reveal it and uh, deploy it. You could also attack your opponent's card that were under construction, setting them back and even destroying them while they are still under construction. For me, this sounds like a really interesting way of spending a resource. The Universal Fighting System card game has an interesting uh, resource as well. When you try to play a card, you must flip the top card of your deck um, and every card has a control value and the card is played only if the control value is equal or higher than the cost of the card. If you are short, there is a secondary resource that can be expanded to make up the difference. And this adds a lot of variance to the resource system and gives it an extra dimension because a card with a weak effect might have a very high um, control value. Let's now look at Arkham Horror, the card game, as an example of a cooperative card game. Um, we can see that the resource mechanic is uh, way more complex compared to all the competitive games uh, we talked about before. Players have three actions available per turn and they have to decide how they want to spend their actions. They can use it to play cards, draw cards, use cards um, or fight with enemies only to name a few. The system is a typical example for choose X number of actions from a Y available actions. 
An interesting thing is that an action can also be used to acquire a second order resource, which then can be used to activate special effects on cards, for example. It sounds complex, but it plays actually very smoothly. But if you compare it with some of the previous examples, it is of course way more complex. But that brings me back to what I told you at the beginning. You need to know which role your resource system needs to play in your game. In Arkham Horror, it definitely is way more prominent than in the games we talked before. And that is absolutely fine for that kind of game. Arkham Horror gives the players X number of actions to choose from Y possible actions. If you want to have a bit more complexity, you could give players a certain amount of action points they can spend on actions that cost different amount of action points. Action point systems can give you a lot of design space as a game designer and your players a lot of different choices and trade-offs. But this is actually the biggest downside of the mechanic as well. Analysis paralysis can be a real problem because there are so many different options players confronted with. I think there are several ways of getting around this problem. For example, you could restrict the number of actions the player can take. Or you could um, restrict the number of a certain type of action. That means if a player has 10 action points, for example, to spend, he could only be allowed to take each type of action once. That restricts the number of choices he has um, by quite a bit. And uh, another option to fight that problem of analysis paralysis is make action selection simultaneously. This doesn't remove the problem, but it at least prevents it from becoming seriously problematic. There are also other games um, in which your resource is more or less variable. That means you have to roll for it with a dice, for example. This is true for Descent, for example, or King of Tokyo. At the beginning of the turn, you do not know how much energy, for example, you will roll. And you have to adjust your strategy on the fly. I know there are a lot more resource systems out there. But that's it for um, today, at least for the mechanics I wanted to talk about. Um, and you should remember that ultimately resources are about choice and it is your job to make sure your players have options about how they can spend their resources. For some games, the option to not spend resources at all can be a serious consideration. When designing your game, pay special attention to how resources fit into the game. What do your target players expect and want? Should the resources be prominent in the front of your game or a little bit more hidden in the background in non-obvious places? How can resources be employed to help balance the game, control the game's pacing or enable player interaction? Is managing resources fun in the game or a chore to support other types of fun? Answer these questions and then take the time to seriously playtest your resource in order to find the sweet spot between restriction and freedom. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Thank you so much for spending your time listening to me. If there's anything you want to share with me, I promise I will also take the time to listen to you. Uh, send me an email to marvin at nerdlikeaboss.com or write a comment on the website at nerdlikeaboss.com and I will definitely reply. If you want to join the NerdLab community, you can also do so by signing up on the website as well. Again, thank you so much for listening and until next week, use your personal resources wisely to create incredible games. And of course, don't forget to nerd like a boss. <laughs>